Welcome to Now Appalachian, hosted by author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. This show profiles the authors and publishers that have connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. And now, Appalachian. And hello, friends, and we welcome you once again to another edition and episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, as we continue to profile the outstanding authors and publishers with connections to the Appalachian region. And if you're new to our program or you're just listening to us for the first time, Appalachia covers 13 states, 420 counties, 25 million people call Appalachia home, and it covers uh, over 205,000 square miles. So that is the region and the area that we focus on here on the program, and we profile those authors and publishers that are writing about that area and have connections to that area through their literary work. And I'm your host, Elliot Parker. It's great to have you with us today. And I'm delighted to have a, a good friend and outstanding Appalachian scholar with us here today to talk to us about her new collection of books on another Appalachian writer who we're going to learn and talk about today. And our guest today is Sylvia Sherbet, and she is the author of the book Silas House, Exploring an Appalachian Writer's Work. So we have an editor talking about an anthology about another author with us here today. And Sylvia joins us as the director of the Shepherd University Center for Appalachian Studies and Communities. She also currently serves as the Appalachian Heritage Writer-in-Residence Project Director at Shepherd University, and she's also the editor of the Anthology of Appalachian Writers. And I am so delighted to have Sylvia with us here today as we talk about uh, this new collection of essays and scholarship about uh, one of Appalachia's most known and celebrated writers, Silas House. So, Sylvia, welcome to the program. So good to have you here today. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for wanting to talk about this book. I am so excited about this book and I'd heard that this book was in development for a while and I'm so glad to see it finally coming to fruition. So just for our audience who maybe is not familiar with Silas House, give us a little bit of background on who he is as a writer and some of his connections to Appalachia. Well, Silas House is just a multi-talented human being and a really extraordinary person. Uh, he is an activist. He is very interested in the environment. He's a social activist as well. Uh, he is an extraordinary writer. So what he's done is he's taken his talent as a novelist and as a poet and as a musician as well. And he's kind of channeled all of these wonderful uh, talents into uh, his activism. And uh, he is, uh, I think he's a force to be reckoned with in, uh, for, for a gentleman so young, uh, Silas has just accomplished so much. He's written so much. He's made an impact on the region. And we thought that we needed to tell the world about it. Very good, very good. And I know you and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but this project was several years in the making. Can you tell us a little bit about the timeline uh, in terms of when you all decided or when you got involved in the project and, and the timeline in terms of sort of the call for proposals and the acceptances and the editing and how long all this took? Sure. Well, it is, it's, it's never a quick process. Um, we, we knew that we wanted to put a collection together and we, we wanted to choose a writer that would uh, really represent the region wonderfully well uh, as we started this. And we may end up doing, you know, doing this again with another writer, as a matter of fact. But it was about two years ago that the, the idea first came to us. And um, I put out a call actually in Appalachian Studies Association for scholars that 
uh, had worked on Silas House and were interested in contributing. And then they sent in uh, their suggestions and their, their uh, drafts. And we chose what we thought would be a representation that, because Silas is still relatively young. So we wanted to have a representation of, in this study, of uh, works and approaches that would be timeless in the sense. And hot, Silas is gonna continue writing and all of this kind of thing, but we think we've captured the major themes in his work. We think we've captured the major genres and that really is what we decided to do to be able to make this work somewhat timeless is to do a genre approach. So Silas is a journalist, he is a playwright, he is a novelist, and we have essays on all of these. And then we close out the volume with uh, Maurice Manning, who wrote this beautiful piece on the lyricism in Silas House's prose. So Silas is a prose writer by and large, but he's also a poet and the way he puts the words together and the images and captures our attention and our imagination. Absolutely. Very well said. And you've got eight different essays in this collection, plus the interview at the end. And we've got some names on here that's really a kind of a who's who's list uh, of Appalachian writers. We've got Marianne Worthington featured, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, David Hoffman. We certainly have um, Denise Jardina uh, writing the foreword to this. How did you go about finding and soliciting these writers to uh, take some time to give us this reflective and analysis, reflection analysis on Silas House. How did you go about locating them and what was that process like? Well, in, in some cases, um, you know, it was a matter of, I knew that someone was really interested and had done some work on, say, Silas's journalism. And so, you know, I, I contacted the person directly. Uh, in some cases, there were suggestions that were made. Silas, for example, he, he did know that we were uh, planning this, and he suggested a number of names, some of them we did not use, but he suggested one young writer that I might not have thought about, even though I'm very much associated with this writer because he lives in Shepherdstown. Uh, and this is uh, Adam Booth. Adam Booth is a storyteller principally, and so people know his work as a, as a storyteller, but he is a wonderful writer. And uh, Silas had met him when Adam was doing some research at Berea, and Silas had made that suggestion. And so I asked Adam if he would like uh, to write one of the chapters, and, and Adam said yes, and, and it turned out that that is certainly one of the brightest and most original of the chapters that we have. But it was really a matter of people making suggestions to me, my going out and tapping people that I knew had really done great work on Silas in the past. And then, you know, I had to also ask some new people. I mean, there were there's some young scholars here that are, are really new to publication. Jacqueline Hahn is one of these. She's involved in teacher education. And she's the one who gave us a wonderful chapter on uh, the adolescent literature or the young adult literature in Silas House. And so Silas is really strong in so many areas and so many genres. So without, I think, taking this genre approach, we would really never have been able to put together a comprehensive book about this, this particular writer who's so multi-talented. One of the things I really like about your essays too, Sylvia, in this collection that you worked on collecting and editing is that while it is sort of a, a scholarly academic text, it doesn't read that way. All of these essays are very approachable and they're essays that anyone can sit down with a small amount of time and, and get through a couple of them 
while still learning a lot about who Silas House is as a writer. Um, how important was it to you to kind of keep that tone and that perspective so that everyone could appreciate it and, and not be scared away by some of the academic writing that we see uh, or that we might remember from school as students ourselves? Sure. No, though, that was really one of the most important considerations with this book. And, um, you know, in some cases, you know, we had to make a lot of suggestions and uh, we had to do a, a good bit of, of editing. In some cases, we didn't do any editing at all because, you know, the pieces were so beautifully written. But that was the goal. We wanted this to be scholarly. We wanted it to be a first great work of research, but we also wanted it to be approachable. We wanted it to be uh, something that the general public would enjoy as well as the academic would enjoy. So that was the goal from the very, very beginning. And I've always felt strongly about this in my own research and my own writing that, you know, if you feel like you have to put together something where the words are you know, filled with jargon and alienate the people that you want to be your readers, I, I, don't, I don't think you're really going to make much of an impression. Plus the fact that I felt that we really owed a lot to Silas. And I think in all the work that I do as an editor, I feel such a sense of obligation to the writers that I'm working with. I, I want to honor them and I want to make sure that you know, they are represented in the best possible way. So writing that is approachable is certainly something that Silas House would appreciate as well. I mean, he would not. There's, there's no stuffiness in Silas House. He is the most down-to-earth person, and yet, you know, he's got a talent that is just knocks your socks off. So that really is how we wanted to put the book together, and this is what we were aiming for when we started out. And I think we accomplished it. I think we did a pretty good job of giving the public a really fine read as well as the scholar. I totally agree with that too. And I know sometimes it's difficult to talk about a writer uh, who is, is certainly uh, active in writing, but not with us today. So I, I thought I would just read a couple of uh, excerpts from some of the essays that uh, are in the collection and just have you kind of give us some background. I know you've read Silas House, all of his work and studied him extensively uh, in your career. So I wanted to start with something you said first uh, at the beginning. And, and I really think this kind of gets to the essence of, of who Silas is and uh, you mentioned that, uh, and this comes from the interview that's in the final chapter of the book, um, and, and there's a quote. Uh, this is what Silas says about his writing. He says, I don't think any story is worth a dime unless it has characters that take up residence in your heart. I think that the only way we can move readers is to make them feel as if the characters are living, breathing beings. And the way I go about creating characters is to get to know them all as well as I can before I ever write them. And when I think about Silas House and what stands out to me about his work from so many other Appalachian writers, it's that in every work he creates, there are so many characters that I'm thinking about long after I've turned the final page oh, and yeah. closed that back book cover. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, your thoughts on that and, and uh, if you feel like you know, Silas does that pretty well in a lot of his work? Oh, yeah. I, I think that Silas, I mean, that's a spot on quote. Uh, and Silas really gets right to the heart of what he does. His, his stories are character driven. There's no doubt about that. And he engages us, the reader, through those characters and through telling their stories. And, you know, having, uh, having listened to, to Silas talk about these characters and listening to him talk about how he's put these stories, these novels together, um, it's kind of a magical thing sometimes. A lot of Silas's work 
a lot of his writing actually occurs in his mind when he's just thinking. So he has a long gestation process where he's mulling over characters, he's getting into their thought processes. You know, he's really living with those characters. It's really interesting that uh, he talks about uh, one of his books, A Parchment of Leaves, that was his most, uh, probably the book that was the most fun for him to write. It came to him really easily. He just had to sit there and it sort of wrote itself. And uh, the voices that were the characters in that book are also voices that have maybe impacted his life or from his past or inspired, say, by a grandmother who was a Cherokee and this kind of thing. So it's a matter, he says, of listening to those voices and then letting them speak. And uh, I won't say that it's quite as wild and crazy, say, as a Thomas Wolfe, who would let those characters kind of just take over and, you know, create volumes and volumes of writing that an editor would have to put together. Silas is letting the character tell the story in his mind. And then when he's ready to write, certainly for a book like Parchment of Leaves, the book sort of writes itself. Yeah, very well said. Another essay that I really liked uh, in this collection is by Natalie Seipold. It's called Looking at the Hurting Parts, Diversity in New Appalachia and the Plays of Silas House. And one of the things we learned, as you were talking a moment ago about Silas being kind of a multi-genre writer, uh, is, is he does uh, write uh, some plays and, and has been heavily influenced by theater uh, from his early life and his early ages. And um, really, Tennessee Williams, Horton Foote, uh, the Kentucky writer Marsha Norman all had a huge impact on him. But one of the things we learn in that essay is that uh, in his play called In the Hurting Part, Evolution of American Play, he talks about how um, his aunts and uncles left Kentucky in the mid-1960s. And, and this was told to him by uh, an aunt, Sis. Uh, they left Kentucky to move north uh, to find work uh, in the steel mills and the shipyards, kind of in those Rust Belt communities. Um, but one of the things we learn about that experience in Natalie's essay is that the money was good, but the times weren't. And that I think one of the things when, when you look at Silas House's work, what also makes him such a great writer is he's not afraid to write about the warts of Appalachia. And he's not afraid to write about some of the, the dark parts and the parts that um, oftentimes get the region stereotyped and oftentimes get sure. uh, the region made fun of uh, by other people outside of the area. And I want to know if you, if you could comment on that uh, and, and how that I think creates a lot of balance in his writing, because it's not all, you know, all the good thing. I mean, he, he's even handed in his depictions of Appalachia. Sure. No, I, I do think he's even handed in his depiction. And, I mean, one of the things that Silas was trying to do in those plays is he's trying to portray what we all know as Appalachian scholars, this idea of in-migration and out-migration. And uh, it's, it's very typical of Appalachians and certainly all of my aunts and uncles, all of the, uh, my kinfolk that were on Sand Mountain in Alabama, they were all this way. You know, these uncles would go out to Detroit and they would get jobs. They would work in car factories. They would do this, they would do that but they had to get home, they had to get home. They always came home. And I will say that even for my own family, I grew up, I consider myself an Appalachian, but I, I grew up in, in Atlanta. My mother and father, both Appalachians, they had migrated to get jobs in Atlanta. And, um, but 
I had this sense of being an Appalachian because every holiday, every summer, we would be packed in the old 51 Ford and we would be going up to the mountain. And that was our life and all of this. I mean, I think the, the thing about Silas that is important is in terms of stereotypes and all of that is he tries to portray Appalachian characters as they really are, as you know, he, he does certainly the dialect to a degree, but he doesn't go overboard in terms of caricature by any means at all. Just enough words to give us a, a feeling for the way the characters talk, the way they act and all of this kind of thing. I think what he is most interested in are these working class Appalachians, whether they had to leave the region or whether they stayed in the region, but he wants to show how the working class fulfill their lives and how they live their lives and how he wants their stories to be told. And he does this ungarnished. He does this, I think, imbuing a sense of dignity in those characters so that they don't come out as stereotypes. It's really interesting to me, he may write about this class of Appalachian that has been stereotyped uh, you know, over the ages, back going all the way back to the 19th century, we had all those local color stories. But when Silas writes about them, he's really interested in letting the characters tell their stories and to tell the stories them, himself so that these characters uh, appear just real people. Now, he doesn't gloss over, you know, their bad traits or anything like that, but he wants us to know that these are people, these are not character types. And they're not uh, stereotypes. And I think he does a great job of that. I think that uh, he's one of the best of the Appalachian writers to turn us away from those stereotypes that certainly a New York publisher is probably most interested in. Sylvia Sherbert is our guest here today on Now Appalachia. We're talking to her about her latest collection of academic essays and scholarship related to Silas House. It's called Silas House, Exploring an Appalachian Writer's Work, and Sylvia served as the editor of that collection. We'll come back to the essays in just a second, but uh, you kind of touched on this a minute ago, Sylvia. You, you were from Atlanta originally. How did you get up to Shepherd? How did you get make your way back up to Appalachia, and, and how long have you been here or, or in the area of, of Shepherd University, kind of over in the uh, sure. eastern side of West Virginia? How long have you been here? What do you do at Shepherd? Well, well, I I, I started out as a, an English teacher at Shepherd, and but there was always something. I mean, I will tell you, I taught for a short period of time at uh, this was thirty years ago at uh, Georgia Southern University, and uh, that's in South Georgia. So, and my husband taught there, and he was a full professor, history history professor. So I was the professor's wife, and and this kind of thing. But after I got my PhD. Um, I, I really was interested in um, a job that would allow me, I think, to really explore my need to write, my need to indulge in scholarship. I love being a teacher and I, I've had, uh, you know, some wonderful opportunities being a teacher and, and receiving some awards for my teaching. But uh, when I got this job up in Shepherdstown, Shepherdstown is really a gateway to Appalachia. Uh, Shepherd University. Uh, I just thought it was the coolest place in the world. I had two job opportunities. This was 30 years ago, uh, offers. And um, I didn't even go to McNeese University where I had the other offer. I, as soon as they offered me the job at Shepherd, I took it. And that is because driving down Main Street, I could see in the background those 
Blue Ridge Mountains. And I thought, you know, this is just something I've yearned for. And you hardly know why you yearn for it. It's, it's like coming home. So I'm a Georgian, but, you know, West Virginia really did give me something that I loved as a child growing up. And those were the Appalachian Mountains, the mountains. And, and when, I, when I came here and I began to work, I, I wanted to feature something in terms of literature. So I asked whether or not uh, there would be any interest in having an Appalachian heritage writer in residence, so a writer. And then from the writer in residence, the anthology grew and the West Virginia Fiction Competition grew and our Celtic Roots Global Appalachia program grew. And then finally, I was asked to start an Appalachian Studies program and then I was asked to to uh, you know head this center so it was really something that just grew out of what I would say is a need and a love all of my scholarship for the past 20 years has been in the area of Appalachia um, and I, I didn't come here seeking this but as soon as I drove down Main Street and saw those mountains I knew that this was the place for me it's just really hard to to even explain it, I think. You just know when you found a place where you belong. Yeah, absolutely. Very true. So very true. So um, I know you and I are connected through the Appalachian Studies Association. Both you and I are on, on the steering committee and have been doing uh, a lot of work there with uh, Appalachian Studies and, and literature and music uh, over the last uh, well, you've been a part of it a lot longer than I have, and uh, I know you've been doing so much good work over the years in your career promoting Appalachia. And for someone who's not from here or uh, checks out this podcast from time to time just to see what's being published and written about uh, by Appalachian authors, why is Appalachia worth promoting, worth talking about, worth writing about? Why, why, why is it worth Silas House uh, writing uh, this, this great literature that he sure. writes depicting this region? What makes it worth promoting and keeping uh, kind of at the forefront of people's minds? Yeah, well, that's a great question, a really, really good question. So we've had the great good fortune here at Shepherd University to have four uh, National Endowment for the Humanities teacher institutes. And the topic that I chose was actually the same topic that we used in 2016 uh, when we had the Appalachian Studies Conference here in Shepherdstown, which was Voices from the Misty Mountains. So my premise is, my idea is with these institutes, which gave us teachers from all over the country, New York City, California, Michigan, all over, is that if you have the opportunity to look at a really interesting ethnic group, and I, I do consider Appalachians an ethnic group because there, you know, there are cultural aspects that are in common, there's language that's in common, there are traditions in common, and all of this, and even if you're away from Appalachia, you're still in, you know, you still feel pulled, there's a tug of, of these traditions, but I have always felt like to study Appalachian, Appalachian literature, Appalachian stories will really give you a wonderful opportunity to look at a group that is has traditionally been, um, what shall I say, you know, stereotyped, looked down on. I think you could see even after the 2016 election when a lot of people pointed the finger at West Virginia and Appalachia and said, y'all are the reason that we have all these problems and it's your fault, it's your fault. 
gosh, I, I remember so, so many conversations where trying to explain that. There's a wonderful film, by the way, that was produced by Silas House. Frank X. Walker is involved in it, and uh, it, it's called Hillbilly. And for people that haven't seen that film, uh, it is uh, Ashley York uh, made that film and Sally Rubin. But it's a great film because it takes that very topic of of Appalachians and, you know, it explores why they did vote for Trump. And it's not simply, it's it's not a simple thing like, well, they didn't, you know, understand what they were doing or what, whatever. It was a matter, I think, of you have a very, very complex area. You have a people that have a past that has been filled with, you know, being taken advantage of, uh, we should be, Appalachians should be one of the richest groups of people in the country. We, we sit atop all of these wonderful natural resources, and yet we don't, we are not able to partake in the benefits. Quite often people outside the region are just a very few people in the region are the ones that profit from all these natural resources. So it behooves then the powers that be to find ways to put down Appalachians so that, you know, the ones that want the resources can say, well, we should take these resources. These people don't deserve these resources. It's sort of been a story told and retold like a broken record uh, over, the, over the eons. But, you know, back to your question, I think there is a complexity about Appalachians that is really interesting. I think that when you study Appalachian literature, you're studying a people that has been displaced Quite often you're studying a people that has been looked upon, that has been othered, and that is translatable then to uh, the, the inner city schools in New York City, it's translatable to California, it's translatable to Texas, as all of these wonderful teachers that came to our NEH Summer Institute found out. They loved it. They loved studying these writers because they knew that they could take this information and they could present it to their students and their students would feel a sense of identity with Appalachians. So there's a story, the Appalachian story that doesn't always get told the way it, you know, truthfully, that story is a story that is worth telling and can be, I think, embraced by a lot of different people. Sylvia Sherbet is our guest today here on Now Appalachia. She's joining us to talk about this new collection of essays that she has edited called Silas House, Exploring an Appalachian Writer's Work. And Sylvia, what you said just a moment ago fits in perfectly to, to the last little excerpt I wanted to read. And I think it's a good way to close out our discussion of Appalachian Silas House today. This comes from Marianne Worthington's essay called Silas House as a Journalist and Activist, The Power of Story. And I think you were talking about um, how Appalachia have Appalachians as a people have been taken advantage of and, and, and treated uh, in a variety of not acceptable ways over the decades and the generations. And Silas House, I think, gives us a, uh, a recipe for how to, uh, how to kind of combat that or overcome that. And Marianne Worthington notes this. She says, House is helping to shape Appalachia's story by inviting transformation sharing his and others' personal stories, and encouraging others to share in an atmosphere that fosters trust and respect and continued dialogue. And I think when, when we look at engagement with people outside the region and we look about, as you say so, so well, telling our story, 
um, that, that Silas has given us through his work and through the types of essays that we see in your collection, a roadmap for how we do that. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think that's a great way to sum up the book and, and to sum up this conversation of uh, the power of the story is everything. And it's important that a region be able to tell its own story. If we don't tell our story, then others will tell our story and they're going to frame us in the way that they want to frame us. And also in a way that they can take advantage of us and uh, use and even in some cases abuse, abuse us. So uh, that's a great summary. And I think that is the whole purpose of what Silas House tries to do in his writing. So Sylvia, as we finish up with you today, if uh, anyone wants to reach out to you to find out more about uh, the essay collection or to find out about what's going on up at Shepherd with the West Virginia Fiction Competition and the Writer, Writers and Residents Project, how can they get in contact with you, first of all, to find out that information? And then sure. where can they get copies of the essays? Well, I mean, the, this book is now on sale at most bookstores. Um, they can, I, I know that I make an appearance in uh, uh, one of the Kentucky book fairs, and so the book will be there, certainly, but uh, you can, if you want the book immediately, you can go to amazon.com, that certainly is a place. Um, we work very closely with Four Seasons Bookstore here in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and you can look them up on the website. If you want to ask questions uh, of me about our programs and about our work with Silas and other writers as well, you can contact me at sshurbut at shepherd.edu or go to Shepherd University and click on the Appalachian Studies website. All of these are easy ways, great places uh, to be able to get in contact with me and also to see about our, our many programs. We have a, we have a new uh, AB and BS undergraduate degree that is just cranked up this semester, as well as a graduate program uh, and a global Appalachia part of that graduate program with our partnership with the University of the West of Scotland. So there's a lot of really exciting things going on in Appalachian studies at Shepherd. We want to thank Sylvia Sherbet for being our guest today here on Now Appalachia. She is an outstanding champion, scholar, and supporter of Appalachia, the region, and its literature. And she's given us another great volume of literature and scholarship for us to take advantage of and to seek. It is called Silas House, Exploring an Appalachian Writer's Work. If you're not familiar with Silas House, reading these essays will get you uh, exposed to some of the themes and some of the mores that he writes about uh, in his literature. If you are a veteran Silas House reader, I think you're also going to learn a little bit more about a writer that maybe you thought you already knew a lot about. So Sylvia, thank you so much for being with us. This is a great collection, a great addition to Acad App Appalachian and academic scholarship, and best of luck to you uh, as it continues to be talked about, sold, and promoted. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. My pleasure. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. We also want to take a moment as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia to say and I give a special shout out and a thanks to Pam Stack, the executive producer of Now Appalachia and all of the podcast programs that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We appreciate all the work and support she does behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. 
This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.